Welcome to the latest edition of the Ask Qubit About Analytics podcast, brought to you by Qubit, the trusted experts in analytics. Our goal is to cut through the jargon and hype around analytics and data science and share practical advice to guide you on your analytics journey. You can find us at qubit.com, that's Q-U-E-B-I-T.com. Thank you for joining me today. I'm A.G. Tan. Thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of the Ask Qubit About Analytics podcast. We had a brief three-week hiatus here over the summer holidays, but I'm happy to say we are back, fully refreshed, and excited to share more analytics-related topics with you. Today, we're going to talk about testing. When you think about it, for most people, the concept of testing lives in an odd place. On the one hand, we're all very quick to pass judgment when we experience some kind of system failure. We say things like, why didn't they bother to test it? We assume that every system or product that's released will have been tested in every possible context. That's quite an ask. On the other hand, many of us, when we're making something, view the activity of testing as a bit of an afterthought. We mistakenly think that it is the making that is valuable, and we allocate maybe 90% of our time to that, and maybe only 10% of time to testing. Doesn't this feel a bit lopsided? In this episode, we're going to talk about testing in the context of implementing an analytic system. For example, a business intelligence solution or a planning solution. We will talk about different kinds of testing and why they're important and share some tips on how to maximize success. I realize that testing can come across as a somewhat dry and dull topic, which frankly is part of the problem. But I hope that by the end of this, you will see how important and interesting it is. My guest today is Jim Brennan, who is Qubit's Vice President of Solution Delivery and Customer Success. To help explain what that role entails, let me say that when I first met Jim, I was looking for someone who could help with managing large and complex consulting projects, essentially a skilled and experienced project manager, or so I thought. After talking to Jim, I was persuaded to rethink my goal and restate it in terms of outcomes, because it is the outcome customer success that matters. Anyway, I'll let Jim speak for himself in a minute, but before that, I want to welcome him. Hello, Jim, and thank you for joining me today. Hi, Aji. Thank you for having me on today. I'm really excited to talk with you. Great to have you here, Jim. So even though the topic I want to pick your brains on today is testing in all its forms, I'd like to start out by asking you to explain briefly why you are our VP of Solution Delivery and Customer Success and not, for example, our VP of Project Management. What's the difference? Uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. I think it's one that we could spend probably an entire session on, uh, but let me see if I can boil it down to a few of the basics that I think about in terms of delivery and success. Um, and first of all, I think it's worth mentioning that we probably all have some some experiences or, or can can point to the fact that project management quote unquote uh, doesn't always have the most positive connotation we probably have seen where uh, we've worked with someone who is not what we hoped or maybe was too focused on tasks 
and not on the goals or outcomes, as you, as you note, or maybe too myopic in, in his or her focus and, and not really thinking or acting holistically for the good of the overall project and its, its overall objectives as, as defined by, really by the customer, by our users, our end users. Um, and so that really brings me to the point that you're, you're asking him, and it's, it is all about delivery. Um, when I work on a project to provide guidance to one of our leads, you know, there, there are tools that I'll refer to, things like a, a RAID log or race diagram or, or decision logs. There are many, obviously, but, but I always point out that those are only tools and, and it's how you use them and, and how you bring it all together to bear on the outcomes that the customer is working on with you that, that really determines success. Um, and I think it's important to, to really understand and, and try to look for those things that, that the customer may not spot right away, the, 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 the intrinsic aspects of the project that are not always super tangible. Um, so while I'm working on a project, uh, I like to focus on, obviously there's, there's the daily and weekly tasks type things that need to be taken care of, but, but really I try to focus on, on how they tie into the big picture. And I like to work with the client uh, to provide them guidance on things that, that sometimes tend to be a little esoteric to them or that they um, may too easily push off onto the thinking that it can be done later under the assumption that it'll fall into place. And things like test plans are, are in that category. There are things that those of us that have been doing this for a while know it takes time to prepare and get it done correctly and that they won't fall into place. Um, and those are the things that I try to pick out and try to help both our delivery teams and our customers recognize and to do it early and to have a plan for it instead of being caught by surprise later on under the assumption that something will, you know, like I said, fall into place or, or be it easy. We all know there, there is no it's easy button other than in the commercials. So you mentioned testing as one of the components of a project. And, and I think everyone has a vague idea of what testing means as, you know, making sure what you built meets the requirements. Um, but it's more than that, isn't it? Maybe you can tell us what are the main types of testing that one should plan to perform on a project and when in the project do they happen? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. The, uh, and it's something that I explain on every project. And, and honestly, I, I get questions every time, maybe not about every single element, but um, I almost always get a raised eyebrow or a question uh, about, about one aspect or another. Um, the main types of testing that I, that I see that should be considered uh, for every project, big or small, and, and determines whether they should be tackled or how they should be tackled, I guess is a better way to say it. Um, our unit testing, and that would be you know done in line with the development process, um, followed by some type of quality assurance testing, uh, and that would typically happen after development testing. But but really, that's a that's sort of your gateway into the more uh, more advanced testing that a user might want to do. Um, another one that kind of in that same vein and timeline that would be after development or, or possibly concurrent with some of the development cycles would be functional uh, testing or data validation. The importance there is really to, to ensure alignment and, and accuracy is, is coming together as, as you would want. Um, the, the, as you come out of some of your cyclical testing that's happening along the development path, uh, would be integration testing or system integration testing. Sometimes folks just refer to it as SIT. 
um, making sure the data is flowing from the ultimate source to the ultimate target. Um, there's obviously user acceptance testing, which comes towards the end of a project, and that really is the user's best opportunity to get a look at the system and make sure that it's doing what they want to do before someone says, okay, go. On you know, Monday morning, the system is live. It's time for you to use it. And then finally, there's performance testing, uh, which this is also towards the end, sometimes before user acceptance, sometimes after user acceptance, but it really is one of the final steps of the, uh, the testing uh, train line that really gives us quite a bit of important information about how the system is going to work. Right. Oh, uh, absolutely. So, so maybe, you know, so you've thrown out these terms, you know, unit testing, you know, system integration testing. Um, can you maybe give some quick examples of what these mean to people who maybe don't have a background in, you know, system and software development? Yes, definitely. Unit testing is, is I guess I look at it as the term itself, unit testing, you think about a unit, I think about pieces of an, of an ultimate um, whole. So unit testing is, is just that. The development team is typically doing unit testing uh, while they're developing. So they write some code or they use the, you know, the pre-built aspects of a system to come up with a, a portion of the solution. When they get to a point where they feel that their job is done on that component or that portion of the system or that snippet of code, they're going to go ahead and have some mechanisms that they can use or methods they can use to test that what they just did behaves the way they thought it was going to behave. If they thought that it was going to add one plus two to give a, you know, a revenue number of three, they'll you know, put some data in and see that one plus two gave an answer of three and it gave it in the right portion of the solution and that it, it worked correctly the way they expected it to work. Right. So it's the most basic thing, the thing that we all imagine and expect is happening. Um, but sometimes, of course, when calculations are a little bit more complicated than one plus two equals three, um, it can be surprisingly intricate, right? Absolutely. And that's, and that's a, a great sort of dovetail into that next aspect of so quality assurance testing is that next level of rigor. And, and my strong recommendation on quality assurance testing is always that this is done by someone who was not the primary developer. So development teams can do cross testing where another member of the team comes in and tests my work, for instance, and they do a quality assurance test to make sure that everything that I said works actually works when someone else tests it. Beyond the quality assurance testing, I would say the next level of testing, we, we talked about functional or data validation testing, this is another one where I believe that the, the development team should not do this testing. This to me is the testing that belongs on the, on the user side. So that the, um, first of all, the users know their data better than anyone else. They're the ones who are most able to do data validation and ensure the data in the system is correct. Uh, and functional testing, this is their first chance as a user group understand the capabilities in the system and to make sure that they are aligned correctly to the requirements and that the interpretation that was done through design and then ultimately through development actually interpreted their requirements in a way that now is coming back at them uh, the way they hoped. 
So for the data validation testing, this brings up the subject of um, having realistic data, especially in, you know, like a lot of what we're talking about is applicable in any kind of project, even non-technology projects, I would say. Um, but very specifically for analytics projects, you know, access to real data is very important because, you know, one thing that I like to say to customers is that the truth is in your data. And occasionally we'll have situations where customers think that you can just make up data for testing purposes. Um, and then of course it turns out, for example, like, you know, it might turn out that when you get the real data, it might turn out that some key um, field, you know, maybe the geography field that you had built your whole model around is actually not populated in real life because the people who are collecting the data in real life are not filling that in, you know? Um, I mean, a bit of a silly example, but that kind of thing does happen. And so with the data validation um, part of testing, uh, it, it's really critical that what has been built thus far is being validated against realistic data. And, and frankly, I, I would say in analytics projects, you really want the realistic data to be available even before anything happens, um, any development happens. But at, at minimum, by this point, we should be dealing with realistic data. Um, indeed, indeed. It, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the things that I see happen so many times where a, a client says, I don't have a full set for you, but I've got a sample set or I've got a partial set and that will get you going. And I've already checked it through. It is completely fine. And I can tell you project after project after project. And I'm not talking about over the last 20 years, I'm talking about over the last two years, I can list several projects where that methodology was used and assumed by the client it was going to be fine, only to have problems with that sample data set. In very short order. Right. Right. All right. So you got to data validation. What's next? System integration testing? Yeah. So system integration testing or, or SIT, a lot of times someone might see that on the on the test plan or on the on the overall plan that way. So this is really um, this might be your data specialist team. It might be your development team contributing. Uh, but this is this is making sure that data from its source whether it's an ERP system feeding into like a GL uh, type planning system or, or you know, any number of, of, of types of solutions that we might encounter, this is someone or some group going in to make sure that a data set or data sets leave a source or sources and they end up in, in the, uh, the target system the way they expect it. So there are many steps along the way. So you can test data coming out of your source system. If you exported or expected a thousand rows of data to come out, you should see that a thousand rows are in some kind of um, transfer data set, flat file, SQL table, staging area, whatever it is. If a thousand were supposed to come out from the source, there should be a thousand there. And if those thousand have a control total of a million dollars in revenue, there should be a control total of a million dollars in revenue in that staging point. So that's step one. And then it's going to leave that staging area and go to its say solution target area. And once it hits that solution target area, those thousand rows should be represented by a thousand rows. Now, whether they're going from 
one table to many tables or many tables to many tables, many tables to one table is inconsequential. The, the trick of doing the system integration testing is making sure that the many to many, many to one, one to many happens accurately so that ultimately where that data lands and is going to be consumed, whether it's by the solution or other aspects of the solution or it's for report, that the data is there. It's making sure the data flows from its ultimate source to its ultimate target and it does it smoothly and seamlessly and accurately. There's no droppage of data. There's no format changes that cause problems. Um, you know, these systems can be highly influenced by um, special characters or formatting things that you may not even think about ahead of time. You take a, a data file and you expect to load it in and suddenly it doesn't load and it doesn't load because you realize that some of the data has special characters or other aspects of the data that works fine in system A doesn't work fine in system B and you only find that out by doing your system integration test. So it actually is a, a quite robust test to make sure your data is going to go from point A to point B and be usable and accurate. So isn't another aspect of that, you know, like a system might have multiple modules of pieces in it and you might have different work streams going on. So, you know, team A or person A is working on, you know, one part and person B or team B is working on another part and these things need to connect, like maybe data is going to flow from whatever person A is working on into whatever person B is working on, but they're developing in parallel. Um, and is system integration testing, can it also be thought about as a place where all these different parallel work streams are sort of pulled together um, for the first time? Yes, absolutely. That, that bringing it together or um, those handoffs, again, you know, it, they all talk to the accuracy of the system passing from point A to point B. And, and you know, the solutions we work on are, are highly dependent on that accuracy of data moving from one component to the next. What's next then? User acceptance testing? Definitely. I, I think I always think of it as user acceptance testing next. Um, and this is really the, the big sort of the, the, the big debutante ball for the uh, for the solution. This is where certainly not your entire user group in most cases, um, but a representative team of your users is going to get in and they're really probably seeing the system for the first time. Hopefully they've been part and parcel of the process or at least informed of the process coming along to here. They're excited. They, they know what the solution should be doing they may very well not have seen it at all. So they're going to come into the system, they're going to start to use the system and, and really put the system or the solution or the component, the module, however you think of it, through its paces as they would do when the solution is live for them, say the next, you know, the next week when user acceptance testing is over. Um, there are multiple ways to do it. Um, it can be script driven. It can be day in a life of uh, where users come individually with their scripts. It can be component by component. It can be uh, focused first on, say, clickability or user experience, and then focus secondly in, on, um, on accuracy of the system flow, and, and thirdly on, on fit and finish and format. Um, there are many, many ways to do it. Each of those is an important aspect to cover. Um, and I always highly encourage uh, the, the, the customers as they're thinking about UAT to not 
simply think of this as, well, the users should know what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. They should simply be able to get into the system and do what they do on a Monday and then what they do on a Tuesday, et cetera, and they'll find everything because that won't be ro robust or thorough enough. I always encourage folks that your user acceptance testing or UAT should be uh, planned really, really well and, and should have scripts. And, and um, even if that script is a day in the life of type script, thinking that goes into that is, is critical to help find the, the challenges with the system. Because really this is, this is when you want the problems to come out. You don't want them to come out day two of, of your go live when someone says, oh, well, I just assumed dot, dot, dot. So I didn't test that. Um, and that happens quite frequently when you don't have good thorough user acceptance testing. Uh, I think um, what you're saying is that it's best to not leave anything to chance. Um, you know, at, as a consultant, sometimes we see so many of these systems and we develop so many of these systems, we forget that for the customer that we're delivering this to, this is the first time they're seeing it. And so what may be obvious to us may not be obvious to them. And we sort of ignore that at our peril, don't we? Absolutely. And, and I'll give you another aspect to that is there is absolutely no way to predict how a user is going to use a system. Once, once a user gets into a system and starts playing with the, with the, the keystrokes or the mouse clicks, um, no matter how well you think you know that user community, no matter how well your user advocate or subject matter expert laid out how the system will flow, somewhere there is someone out there that's going to use the system completely differently than you anticipated. Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, I think this is out of scope for today's discussion. And as you said at the beginning, we could go on and on and on. There's so many interesting subtopics here. But it really does speak to the benefits of having some representative users, as you mentioned earlier, be part of the project early on and right from the very beginning so that they're providing input into that user experience as you're developing it and they're being kept up to date into what you're doing and being shown things that they can then critique along the way so that we don't get all the way to user acceptance testing and, you know, it's, there are no champions, right? So if you have one or two people who have been part of the process, have contributed to the design, when you get to that last step and you've got a broader range of users, if one of their number is championing it and basically helping advocate for it, that's going to make the acceptance process much easier. Yes, definitely. And it's, it's, it's part of that whole outcomes thing. You know, we, yeah. we talked early on about it. We've, we've hit it a couple of times through, throughout the discussion. The outcomes are predicated on user impression and user adoptability. It's not based on ticking the box of having completed development. And it really is not predicated on one person's view. It's, it's, it's the people that you have picked as a client to represent your user group, whether it's a small team and one person or it's a large global team and it's a representative from each, um, say, functional unit. You need those, those various opinions to, to be part and parcel with the, pro the process. So when, when time and money are tight, project managers are always under pressure to find ways to keep costs down and speed things up. And 
Sometimes this means that they'll cut testing from the consulting budget and try to do it in-house instead. Now, in principle, I personally think this is a great idea because it can lead to better customer engagement and adoption. But there is a danger, right, is that if this is a brand new system, then by definition, as I kind of said earlier, the customer has no experience with how best to test it. So do you have any advice on, on that front? Like what's the optimal division of labor between customers and consultants for testing? And, and I think you've already said that it's very, very important to have good test plans, right? Yes, definitely. And, and your scenario is, is, is very real. I mean, it's, it's not a, a theoretical discussion topic. It's a discussion that, that I have all the time on projects. Um, that desire to save cost and to hopefully sometimes parallel work streams is, is very real. It comes up all the time. Um, and I have this discussion very frequently. Um, ultimately, and we've mentioned it a couple of times already, there, there are definitely testing scenarios that I think should be in the hands of the customer. Uh, data validation is a, is a classic one. They, they know their data. So I can't test their data as well as they can test it. Functional testing, you can have it be by the customer or you can have it um, be by a customer representative or, or potentially a consultant that helped develop the requirements, but it, it should be uh, outside the hands of development and obviously uh, user acceptance testing um, should be by the user. Um, and, and I guess the other one that I think of in, in terms of that are, are, are quality assurance testing um, that we talked about earlier. Um, and this is one that, you know, just in, in the last project, the last, uh, project I worked on um, that was actually quite had quite a large and independent quality assurance team um, actually showed to have some challenges because of the the if and the if was quality assurance will find the problems for you and should be handled by the customer if it's planned correctly and the if there was they assumed their quality assurance team because they were a a dedicated you know, professional quality assurance team with typical QA tools would be able to do testing of this type of solution that they had never tested before because they're testing uh, professionals. Therefore, they didn't build the test plan that I think they should have built. Um, it was more of an assumption than a test plan. Um, and, and that's where, um, from a best practices perspective, I think people run into, into challenges. It's that planning for it that's critical and, and I think that most clients understand how important it is and are earnest when they offer to do the testing on, them, on, the, on their own, you know, to put the burden on their internal teams. Um, what I don't think they understand many times is, is just how important it is to prepare for the activity and to really honestly make their assessments of how long it's going to take. And that's where it becomes a partnered activity because they may not know what to plan for in their tests with this module or this type of system they never deployed before. They may not know that the nuanced aspect of, of some, some way of testing the data is going to actually take two weeks instead of two days. Um, so and I, I can tell you just overall from experience that that's really where the underestimation comes in is, is in, the, in the estimation of effort. Um, and many times, I do unfortunately see this swing from days to weeks. You know, the other one that's really important for them to take ownership of is the user acceptance test plan. Um, so many times I see a customer come back to us and say, well, your development team 
knows what they, they built, they should be able to give me a script to tell me how to test this. And I say, every time, without variation, they could give you a script. They could also test this. They're going to test, and it is unlikely they're going to find problems because just by the fact that they know how the solution works, they're going to use it in the way that it works. That's a really great example, um, and, and I've seen this kind of thing as well. Um, I mean, I think just to try and, and, and summarize, um, number one, you don't want your developers to do your testing um, because, as you said, they know how it was built and subconsciously they're not going to find any problems. Um, number two, they don't know the data. And if the system doesn't do what it's supposed to do with the data, you know, if they're not able to spot the anomalies or things that don't make sense from a data and business point of view, because the consultants are also not going to know your business as well as you, even if they understand business in general and they understand your industry, they don't know your specific business the way you do. Um, and the third one being, even if you have a full-time or dedicated testing team, a quality assurance team, you have to understand that it's not just a technology issue. You, when you're implementing a system like this, it's a combination of a technology and a business process. And if you don't have the business process in mind as part of your testing, then it's not going to be successful. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's definitely that aspect that we are living in a three-dimensional world. There is no, there's no thing that has just one side. So it's not just a technology question. It is not just a data quality question. It is not just a usability question. It's, it's all those things coming together and, and, and that testing approach, that testing plan needs to, to think about those things. So you're, you're, you hit it directly on. So this has been a great conversation, Jim. And through the conversation, we've hit on a whole bunch of good advice and best practices for anybody listening. Um, to think about at least if they're embarking on a project like this. I just wanted to give you the opportunity in case you had any last parting words of, of advice for our listeners. Definitely, I, I agree. I think we hit some great points here. The last point I would, I would make is just don't underestimate the task of planning for your testing and, and don't assume you can do it later in cycle. Um, it's one of those things that the earlier you start and the more prepared you are up front, even if it's starting with small bites in bite-sized pieces, early on, you'll be much further ahead and you'll be ready to make the adjustments you need and to make the plans you need if you start this process early. For instance, during requirements, what better time than to think about an outline of how you might test those requirements. It can help you to vet the requirement. You can't figure a way to test the requirement when you're saying you need it, maybe you should rethink whether you need it or not. And vice versa, as you're thinking about the requirement, you can also be thinking about how this would work in the real world, and you can have some testing thoughts jotted down. So I think that that early, that early and often approach to thinking about your testing plan is, is a key, key success factor. And I would, I would just recommend that everyone really recognize that it can be done sooner than they think, and it will have a better outcome if they think of it that way. I really like that, um, and um, I couldn't agree more. And as you were talking, you know, about early and often and planning your testing right from the beginning at the overall project macro level, 
you know, I was just tapping into my distant past as a software developer. And, you know, even in software development or even in system development, I think the same advice applies. And I think it's what we call, you know, test-driven development, right? So before you start developing any component of your system, you should have a plan for how you're going to test it. Um, you know, and it's really the same kind of thing, but maybe at a different level of granularity. Indeed, indeed. Um, there are just correlations in so many things we do right? that, you know, in, in real world, not necessarily solution development or system development or development of any kind. There, there are so many things we do that it's just the natural flow. You, you don't even realize that you're, I think, doing that ahead of time. Um, it happens in sports. It happens in, in recreational activities. It happens playing cards. Uh, I mean, I think back to when I took my, my scuba diving certification and, and when you learn to, you know, go below 10 feet, first thing that you get taught is how to equalize your ears and the, and the, and the, the saying was equalize early, equalize often because no one wants to blow out. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things you don't necessarily think of, but people do it in so many different ways. So if we just force ourselves to think of it a little bit and these more structured uh, approaches to solutions or, or projects, it'll have great benefit. No, absolutely. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. We would love to hear from you. Do you have anything you would like to ask Qubit about analytics? You can tweet us at AskQubit or email us at info at qubit.com. That's info at Q-U-E-B-I-T dot com. Until next time. Mm-hmm.